No taxation without representation. 200 years of exploitation in the capital of this nation. No representation in the capital of this nation. 200 years of exploitation. Give the people their right to vote. Someone asked me, was it true? The voting rights of the district were long overdue. That was Sweet Honey in the Rock with Give the People Their Right to Vote. Hello and welcome to Shadow Politics, an hour-long grassroots talk show, which will attempt to shine a light on the issues that you care about. I'm your host, United States Senator Michael D. Brown, coming to you live from the District of Columbia, America's last colony. And I'm joined by my co-host, Marilia Duffels, and together we hope our show will start a dialogue with America about the issues that are important to you and affect the lives of all of us. So welcome to the show and Happy New Year. Uh, let me introduce the greatest gift I got in 2021, my co-host, um Marilia Duffels. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Mike. You are far too kind. I really No, that's not that I'm you you're the best, really. I'm so glad to have you with me. And 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 here we go into it. It's 2022. I mean, I just can't believe it. It's hard for me to even say it. I know. It's crazy. I'm barely getting over that 21. Yeah. And we lost some important people this week, and we're going to talk about one of them that 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 you actually met. Uh, yeah. But first, let me say that I've had for the past 60 years, probably, a crush on Betty White. I thought she was the funniest, uh, most talented uh, person there. I fell in love with her when she was the, the uh, slutty... Uh, 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 food food show person cook on on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Oh my she had, God. Yeah, and and you know, so she passed at ninety nine, like ten days short of her hundredth birthday. What an amazing career! So, just wanted to give a shout out to her. Absolutely. And then we also lost, of course, an icon in in for anybody that's ever fought for civil rights, and that's. Uh, Archbishop uh, Desmond Tutu. He was an Episcopal priest, uh, winner of the Nobel Peace Prize, uh, an advocate for social justice and, and LGBT rights. Uh, he he helped bring down apartheid, the 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 most heinous, um, you know, case of racial injustice on the globe. And uh, certainly will be missed. And 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 Marilia, you actually got a chance to meet him, which I, I find astounding. Honor and a privilege to have met him. And he was just as he is portrayed by the media and the press. He just had a heart of gold. There was no barrier between him and any human being. I mean, he saw straight through your heart and and your humanity. And and he. He was funny. He was just uh, just a light, light-hearted soul, and um, it's just such such a tragedy that we lost him. Because wow, what what an a unique and valuable human being he was. Well, you know, isn't that something that in politics you see this sometimes? That you know, we talk about it. We talk about people that have a presence. They just walk into a room and 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 they uh, attract attention. And I think one of the most attractive qualities, probably the single most attractive quality in any human being, is someone who's exactly like you explained, comfortable in their own skin, who's you know uh, uh, who you just. You know, you just get a warm feeling being around some people like that. And I never had the honor to meet him, but but it, it's nice to know, you know, because sometimes you meet people and they're they're not what you think they are. 
you know exactly yeah. right exactly right and he he didn't have to portray anything because he was who he was on its face and he didn't act with any superior airs and he had not that anybody really has a right to but you almost wouldn't blame him but um the other thing that he had that that pervaded his soul um in, in life and in death was humility and it's it's something that a lot of politicians and famous people can and learn from um you know just the fact that he um left word or instructions for his coffin to be the simplest possible is testament to that and so you know even in death the man exudes humility and and it is a an asset that we should all have and my hope for 2022 is that that has served as a symbol and that will infect humanity and especially current and and future leaders yeah i i i think that's a beautiful sentiment and uh you know all i can tell you is i think that 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 people maybe people who stand up for the rights of others uh gain this humility i was yes. uh i was behind stage at the convention uh in in 1980 in new york city and um i met uh, I'm sorry, in 1990 in New York City, and I'm I met uh, Rosa Parks, and she was standing in a corner, and I saw her, and I nobody was even with her, and I said to the woman who was with me, we were both working the stage, who is that? And she said Rosa Parks, and I said, Wow, Rosa Parks, Rosa Parks, Rosa Parks, and she went, Yeah. And she was this little tiny woman. I guess I expected her to be like a big, you know, uh, person given what she'd done. But again, she was, I went over and introduced myself and, and she was very nice. And, and, you know, um, so yeah, some people just get it, but a lot of politicians don't do that. It's all about the power. It's all about uh, it's it's all about themselves, yeah. and you know. Uh, yeah. Another woman I met one time during a hearing was Dorothy Height, and she thanked me for my activism. And I came home and I said to my my wife, "I can't believe she thanked me for my <laughs> activism." You know, given who she is, but you know, those people, right? They know oh, yeah. who they are, and and. And they exude that. And God, you're so right. We need so many more of them in the yeah. world. Because a well, lot of politicians have a lot to be humble about. They that's have right. A lot to be boastful about. It's quite the opposite. And um, the problem is, you know, there are the sick fans who who prop up that mentality, that ego, and and it just it it furthers. Yeah, unfortunately, we've known a few, huh? Yeah. yeah. On both sides of the, on both sides of the, the issue. Oh, we've known lots of few. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> but let me, I've got to tell real quick my Desmond Tutu sure. story, because I went to, a, I, I helped train Native Americans that want to run for public office, and we've done this a couple of times, and it's worked pretty well. And we had this guy from New Zealand whose name was Hone, I can't remember. I can't pronounce his last name, uh, but he was he told this story. He got up and and home was a radio show host, uh, just like you and me in, <laughs> in, in New Zealand. And he found out that the um, South African uh, rugby team was coming to play the New Zealand state rugby team and everything was being paid for by the New Zealand government. Well, it was apartheid, and he thought this was wrong. Uh, he's a Maori, and, and he thought it was wrong for his government to support this team from South Africa. So he started to go on radio and talk about it. And he talked about it for a while, and, and then the game came to pass, and he said that people should come to the stadium and protest the game. Well, unbeknownst to him, thousands of people showed up thousands of people protested the game they almost shut it down but they didn't and he was arrested 
Well, he ends up in court. He ends up in court and 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 he goes before the judge and the judge says, where's your lawyer? And he says, I don't have a lawyer. And the judge says, well, I got bad news for you. You're facing, you know, 20 to 30 years in jail for insurrection and you need to get yourself a lawyer. So he didn't know what to do. So they put him in jail. He was there overnight. He heard that Desmond Tutu had come to New Zealand, had come to the capital to do something. I don't know what. But he got a note to a Maori guard and said, please get this to Bishop Tutu uh, and tell him I need need his help. Now, what are the chances that that would actually happen? But he's in court the next day. The doors swing open. And in walks Desmond Tutu with an entourage. Amazing. Amazing. So he puts Tutu on the stand and he <laughs> says to him, he's not a lawyer. He doesn't know what to do. And right. he says, Tutu, have you ever been, uh, uh, Archbishop Tutu, have you ever been arrested for protesting apartheid the way I did? And, and Tutu says, no. So he doesn't know what to do. He, he's <laughs> like flabbergasted. You know, where do I go now? And so he just says to Tutu, well, could you explain to us what apartheid is? And he said for 10 or 15 minutes, Tutu launches into this, this explanation of what apartheid is and the effect it has on the people of South Africa. And he says when he's done, members of the jury are crying. The judge is crying. The prosecutor is like, oh, my God, you know, where do I go from here? He's he's found innocent. Of course, they let him off. And he becomes so famous from the incident. The news, everybody in New Zealand covers it. And he becomes so famous that he gets elected to Parliament to one of the Maori <laughs> set-aside seats. And I don't know if he's still there. I tried to find out if he's still there. But I had a fi- hard time finding a list of, of members. But the last time I checked, he was still there. And this this was 20 years ago. So so 10 years ago, he was still there. So uh, uh, I think he may still be there, but he was there for a really long time. And and, you know, uh, so I never really got to meet Desmond Tutu, but I had this fabulous story. And I have to tell you, at the That's end of the story, right. yeah, he tells this amazing story and everybody in the room is enraptured by it. And then they say to me, Okay, Senator Brown, you can get up and talk about statehood right now. And I'm like, why? Why why do I want to do that? You know, it's like, what am I going to say? Yeah, I'm a statehood advocate, and I had lunch with Thomas Jefferson, and he said, you know, so I didn't know what to say. I got up there. I think I put everybody to sleep. But this guy was an amazing guy with an amazing story, which just tells you what an amazing person this man was, right? Because... It, when the spotlight's not on you, right? That's when you when you meet a politician and and he has no no vested interest in being nice to you or doing something for you or or right. being gracious. And he is or she is. You say to yourself, "Yeah, that's the real deal." That that the, the you know that those are those are. Um, those are the moments where you really see what people are. So yep. when they're not looking over your shoulder to find the next person they can right. give use to them, which yeah. is, you know, the disease in Washington. Right. I always say the easiest way to commit suicide is to get in between a politician and a camera, you know, <laughs> of any sort. You will be immediately trampled by him <laughs> and his staff. As the staff drags you out of the way, you know, I mean, but but it, it, it's unfortunately so true. And we see it so much in D.C. politics, too, you know, as much right. as we, we've got people, we've got people that have just gotten out of jail that are running for re-election. You know, I mean, yeah. uh, we have Harry Thomas who's doing that and people are talking about Jack Evans running again. I mean, I just I just can't imagine. But, oh, you yeah. know. Well, Vincent Gray, too. Yeah, Vincent Gray was under investigation for mm-hmm. for four years, and now he can be he can be a, a councilman for life in right. Ward Seven, the way Marion Barry was in Ward Eight. You know, and 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 just exactly. so that that you know we we this is an equal opportunity uh, uh, 
you know, uh, city. We have we have guys like Jim Graham and plenty of white guys and black guys who have both uh, gone on the wrong. You know, it, you should be honored to be elected. It oh, yeah. should be a responsibility. It's not about you. It's about the people that put you where you are. Yeah, and that's what we forget, and, and and we forget it time and time again. These well. Vessels, and they don't know that. And and you yeah. can even read about vessels. I'm not saying religion should be into this, but you can. The word vessel is even found in the Bible in this in this context. And these people are vessels, and there will always be another vessel to replace them that is perhaps even better than what they're doing or not doing. Right. So um, my my goal in life, at least 2022, is to always invoke Desmond Tutu's humility. Well, that would that is a great goal. And let us not forget, since you mentioned the Bible, that Timothy tells us in the Bible to be a vessel unto the Lord. That's what oh, that, that's that's his, you know, that that that's well, what he tells us and we should be. Absolutely right. And Desmond Tutu absolutely was, you know. And there are people like that in the world, right, that just exude the, the, this, the, these qualities, these godlike qualities, that, you know. He treated uh, me as if I were, you know, the most important person to him at that moment, and and I felt nothing less. And his wife too was lovely, and so so is lovely, and so is his daughter, whom I also had a chance to meet and get to know. Um, she's an amazing artist. His his wife and uh, his daughter Mfo, not not the other one, the other one who spoke at the funeral. I don't know if you saw what she said. No, but, I didn't. But he said that the love was a little bit where she said that he said that the love that he gets from people um, back from the love that he gives to people warmed the cockles of his heart. And he said, I don't know what cockles is or means. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but mine have been warmed by your love. <laughs> so that, that was a lovely thing she said. Yeah. And it, and it's true, isn't it? That, that, the more you give to people, what you get back uh, very often is, is is much more than what you give. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and 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 it seems so simple to me. I don't know why it's so complex, but you know, when I think it, and and I don't want to get too bring too much religion into it, but when I think about God, and I think what what would God want from me? It, it's so mm -hmm. simple for me. He would want yeah. me to take care of those people around me. Right. I mean, right. If right. I if, if 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 I had a week left to live and you asked me what you could do for me, I would say take care of my children. If mm -hmm. if if my kids ever come to you and they need something and you can give it to them, give it to them, you know. Uh, and exactly. that's what I think she wants from us. I think he wants us to take care of each other. Exactly. And and, and I don't know why that's also difficult well even science shows and i know this because i used to write about neuroscience um for the economist magazine um in altruism the brain is such and it works in such a way that the reason altruism feels so good is because it actually stimulates the feel-good hormones the feel-good neurotransmitters in the brain when we give. They have done studies on that. So altruism is actually a, a, a selfish act because it really makes us feel good, literally makes the brain feel good. Science proves that. Right, absolutely. Um, yes, and, and thanks for bringing that up. Because, uh, yeah, it does. We've all been through the holidays lately and, you know, and... Uh, uh, we've all given, you know, we all feel that, right? When somebody opens a gift that that uh, that we give them that 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 they love, you know, that they like, it makes it, us feel good, but, right? Yeah, makes yeah. you happy. Well, you know, I want to talk about the future a little bit, and 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 you know, um, one thing I'd like to talk about is uh, with you, especially because you do have a science background, is that the cover 
of the Washington Post magazine today was Greta Thunberg mm-hmm. uh, on uh, climate change. Right. And uh, I, I just, again, it seems so simple to me that if we don't have climate we don't have anything, you know, if we don't have right. a, if we don't preserve the environment and, you know, it, it there's, it, it, and it was amazing to me. One of the first things she said, which I know you'll agree with, we can't compromise with the laws of physics. That's the first thing she said, you know, to just, you, you can't negotiate with the laws of physics, right? Exactly yeah. right. That is well put. Yeah, because science is science, and and you know you 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 can't say well we're going to reduce carbon emissions so much and and see we're being better, so the world should respond by getting better. You know, right? You have to reach whatever whatever limit that is where you have to. You can't. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Science, like like legislators do, they right. On legislate, you can't legislate science. It is what it is, whether it's physics or chemistry. There is no formula that you can tinker with. It'll slap you right back in the face if you try to. And I don't understand. I I, I imagine that people who are against climate change and climate science don't have a science background, and maybe have science phobia. And perhaps that's their way of dealing with it. But uh, you know, maybe we should improve science education. In, in in schools and and perhaps people would understand but there's just there's no way around it when you, x plus y equals a certain number that's what it is well i think maybe you're right maybe we should do that as a guy that took his first uh practical biology practical exam and looked through 16 microscopes and everything looked exactly the same to me i think i think <laughs> when i got to the final microscope i said what are the chances that these are all paramecium? No, I, I think maybe I think maybe I better go back. But but no, you're right. We do, and 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 we we think it's not going to affect us, or we're so selfish and short-sighted that we understand that this is a a horrible thing that we pass on more to our children, our grandchildren, than we pass on to ourselves. You know, and and yeah. so we don't care about it. I mean, look, Senator Manchin. We all understand that West Virginia's got a lot of coal in it, okay? <laughs> but damn it, with the, when the climate goes bad, it's going to go bad for the people of West Virginia as well as the uh, as well as the rest of us. So you need to get on board and sign on to some legislation that's trying to make the world a better place. And I think this is our challenge. I think my parents, my father's challenge was saving the world for democracy, and he did that. He, he fought in the Second World War. He trapped across Europe. They were the greatest generation. They did. They did save the world. But what you know? What behooves? How does it behoove us to save the world and then allow it to degenerate to a point where where we where it's toxic? You know, this is our great challenge. I think. It ha- it's selfless and it's hubris yeah. and it's also delusional that somehow a magic eraser can pop up and, and, and erase all the, 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 the problems that, that have been created on in, with, in terms of the environment and the way it affects us. It has to be. It, it's, it's selfishness and it's hubristic selfishness on the part of these politicians. Well, and you understand, right, at the very beginning um, that when people were saying, oh, you know, it's not really global warming. This is a cyclical thing. Every t- Remember those politicians at Capitol Hill saying, oh, every 10,000 years the the world goes through this and we have all this science to prove that, you know. And now the polar bears are showing up in Arizona, you know, they're, they're right? They're, they're all of a sudden, well, yeah, okay, global warming's here, but, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, I think if we could only do a in their backyard, I think people don't don't. It takes a lot sometimes to get people to believe and and especially people with hubris and, and, and selfishness. But imagine if these people were one of the 600 people 
uh, or all of the 600 people in, in Boulder, Colorado, who just lost their houses. Um, a good friend of mine just lost her house, and it was six weeks after losing her husband mm. uh, to the fire. And um, the reason it did catch is they're saying Colorado, Boulder in particular, has had terrible conditions. The um, There was a, a, a drought and dryness in September. Um, they've had no precipitation. Everything's dry. So when there was the spark, whatever it was, they're now thinking it was a meth lab that sparked the grass. Um, and, and off it took. The grass was extremely dry because there's been no precipitation. And then there was windstorms that were crazy. And, and you know what that's like. That took it to the extent that it burned 600 houses. Well, you know, and we have uh, the people that produce this show were in Paradise, uh, California, and mm. they were all wiped out. The show is now produced by the same group of people out of Texas. They moved to Texas, but they lost everything. And and the woman that does the uh, the social media for this show lost her house, and and for the same reasons, you know that that wildfire started well. You know, everybody knows what's going on in California. They, 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 we see it more and more and more. And I remember, you know, I took an environmental science course. I think I cried to get a C in the course, but I took a, I took an environmental science course, right? And I remember them talking about this. Now, this is 40 years ago, 40 plus years ago when I'm in college, and 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 they were talking about global warming calling causing more storms, causing more dramatic storms, causing, you know, uh, hurricanes and, and wildfires and all these things that are coming to pass now. I remember them talking about it in the environmental science course that I took. Right. And, you know. And the um, other, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, people don't understand. People don't understand science, typically don't understand math. Um they don't understand that there are statistical analysis that take place of science research. In other words, some sophisticated formulas and analyses that are done over and over in every which way to determine whether or not the scientific re research is authentic. Is this a one-off? Is this a random event? Or does this make sense? Does, is this an actual phenomenon? Whether that's looking at molecular activity on up to climate change, something as big and encompassing as climate change. So statistical analyses are done, different kinds, to every bit of authentic research that there is there. And the other thing, it is peer-reviewed. So people don't understand that. They would probably not understand the statistical analysis. It's not simple, but it's it's not terribly complex either. So well, and that that's it, right? We we wallow in our ignorance and we use it as a shield often, you know, uh, you know, like everything. In my, I remember my grandmother, who was the center of, of my life uh, as a little kid. Everything was an anecdote to her. Right. She mm -hmm. knew everything about everything because she knew that she knew that every Irish person was exactly the same because she knew the Irish lady next door and she didn't like her. And that, you know, <laughs> so, so anybody, anybody, you know, they were all the same, you know, to her or, 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 or you know, and, 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 and we use it, we use that, we use that as a shield, I think, in a, in a lot of cases. I know that, I know that she did. And uh, by the way, uh, my kids gave me a 23 and me, and I just found out that I'm 51% Italian. So, no. yeah, oh, my, that's great. I know yeah, it. it's great I for me it. because, because you know, as a kid, I was I grew up in an Italian neighborhood. I used to say I was the only boy in the third grade that didn't shave, uh, and and <laughs> you know that, that I always wanted to be Italian. And my name was Mike Brown. You know, and I had all these friends named Giovanni and Tony and you know and and you know I always tried to I, I always tried to do everything I could to wow. be Italian but it but so finally I've been, I've been certified and uh uh yeah and I'm 45 percent 
English, which makes sense because my, you know, I have a relative that fought in the revolution. My my father was uh, was 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 English and Irish. His mom was Irish. So right. Uh, but uh, but yeah, fifty one. I just made it. Fifty one percent of doubt. So uh, um, I found that very interesting. Uh, but anyway, yeah, you know, we could go on and on about climate change, and I hope we'll have some people. We've had some people on the show in the past, and I hope we'll have some in the future. And 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 you know, it'd be great to yeah. to have you interact with some of those people. And let's talk a little bit about the the future. We're going to have some interesting guests. We're going to have the Attorney General for District Columbia. He's going to come on in February. We find out now. We're hoping to have Mary Trump, who's the uh, a niece of uh, the former president, on, who's written a book about him. Um, because, uh, this is the big question in, 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 you know, what, what's going to happen to the Republicans in 2022? Uh, we saw that we thought that this year during the special elections, that the Republicans are really going to be hurt by Donald Trump. And that didn't happen. They did pretty, they did pretty damn well. And, 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 you know, so we don't know, we don't know exactly what the, what the situation is going to be with, uh, with, with Donald Trump. So it'd be great to get Mary Trump on and, and see what her take on all this stuff is, because she's been following him his whole, his whole lifetime. So, um, yes, she has. Well, the, a week is a long time for politics. Yeah, it really is a long time right. to politics, and um, things will change. The star will will become more and more dim. Yeah, you know, I hope I hope that his influence on the party, his hold on the party, because you know, both of us have been in politics both long enough to know that we need two healthy parties at, at least, you know, yes. the world, like in America, maybe we're turning, we're going to have a third party emerge, but uh, through, through independence and, and other groups, but, uh, but you need at least two, two healthy parties, you know, uh, uh, okay. you know uh, uh, Brazil. Who has I forget how many parties, but they have um, they have more parties and they have states. I'll tell you. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, right? All these people that embrace multi-party uh, governments, I say, you know, that's like Italy is the world's greatest democracy because they let everybody run the country for like three weeks, and then <laughs> you know, and they, right? They have so many parties; they're always putting together coalition governments that are falling apart. And that's the beauty of a two-party system is that you you have to coalesce, supposedly anyway, before you actually get to right. the ballot box. And 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 but I don't know that that either party has uh, an agenda the way they used to have an agenda. Right? You used to be right. able to say certain things about Republicans: physical responsibility. Uh, you know. Uh, uh, they 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 believed in a strong military. They believed in there were there were there were certain things they believed in, and the same thing with Democrats. There were certain basic beliefs in in, in for Democrats, and um, you know you just and I don't. Some, it's the old uh, the Venn diagram. You remember the Venn diagram from yeah. It's it's they they've merged. There is no intersecting area. They've merged. It's hard to, to, to determine what is really the Republican Party anymore. It's it's not the old good values that it was it, or, or or policy positions. They 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 just don't. Free trade, forget that. Right. And and you know what? Um it I went to a basketball tournament recently and it was a bunch of schools. There were six schools that that played in three different games. And it impressed me. I started to think about how all the fans at the games were going crazy for their team, right? Because it's college sports, right? So you're yelling for your team and you don't care how they score a basket. You don't care if the guy makes a half court shot or he does a layup or he's fouled or whatever it is. The whole point is to win. 
That's all that's important to you is to win. And and that's what our politics, I think, has become. We split up into two teams and we don't care anymore about anything else but winning. That's all we care about. And whereas it may be appropriate for you to go and scream your lungs off for your for your for your alma mater, by the way, our alma mater won uh, at, at, at the tournament. And I have to I have to shout out. We were in a bowl game recently. We won 51 to 10 against wow. Virginia Tech. Yeah, University of Maryland Terrapins. Fear the turtle. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, but anyway, you know, if we're there, yeah, you scream and, 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 you, and you root for the Terrapins. You don't wish any ill will on the other team. Yeah, you just want to win. You yeah. just focus on that. And it seems to me that that's what we've gotten in politics. And it's so inappropriate to get, you know. You want to win and you feel for the players. You want your players to win. You want the, those young guys to win for them. And then you feel badly that the other team is lost. I always feel badly, even even if I don't like the other team, like in, in football. You know, I, I when I look at them individually after the other team has creamed them, and you know, especially in the Super Bowl, you just feel so badly for them. They're just so down and out with the slump shoulders. But there is not that in politics. Maybe we could. I, I doubt it will transfer ever. I doubt it'll be that way. But it's not easy. But that's how it is. You even you feel sorry for the losing team. Well, you and my wife, you and Pat Brown, you know, would get along great. That's why I always said she couldn't officiate because if she was a an official official during soccer games or or whatever, my you know, Nick played all the sports. Every game would end in a tie. She wouldn't want every game to end in a tie. She wouldn't want any anybody anybody to lose, you know. And, and oh, that's and, exactly right, Mike. And, and you know what? It's strange, really, about. I remember that people used to give us dirty looks because when Nikki was little and he would go play basketball, we would cheer for anybody that made a basket. It didn't matter what team they were on, you know, because because yeah, the games would end like 10 to 8 would be the score, you know, and, and, and they would shoot at the basket because when they were little, they couldn't get an arc on the ball. And like 100 shots would bounce off the rim. Yeah. And then one would go in, who cares? You got it. You know, you cheer for them. <laughs> and parents on our team would give us dirty looks like, what are you doing cheering for the other team? It's like, <laughs> oh my God, does it really matter? You know, but but you know, that's the way we get and 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 it's just been um I don't know how we break that. Hmm? Cheering yeah. for humanity, like Desmond Tutu. Yeah, absolutely. Let him be a symbol to all of us. Uh, you know, locally we have a we have a. You know, I want to talk about statehood for a minute because we're going into 2022. Look, we've blown our opportunity to make DC a state right now. You've mm -hmm. got people all over America screaming about voting rights, but nobody says anything about DC statehood. We got two bills before the United States Senate that don't even mention for for voting rights to protect the rights of people to vote. And you don't have even a mention of the 700,000 people who are disenfranchised. And most recently, again, in today's paper, they mention it. Uh, it reaches it, it's reared its ugly head again uh, because we don't have. Uh, the Senate is not approving our judicial nominees. So we have a court system in the District of Columbia that's literally got hundreds and hundreds of cases that are backlogged because we can't get our judges, uh, we can't get them approved by the Senate. Now, there's a thing in the Senate that you might be familiar with called red carding, where the senators from the state where the judge, the federal judge has been appointed, red card him and say he's OK with us. And the senators uh, generally, as a rule, go along with that. But mm -hmm. of course, we don't have that in the District of Columbia because they don't allow our senators to have any voice at all. You know, right. we're, 
recognized by the United States Senate. In fact, they recently had a hearing where they wouldn't even let us speak. They wouldn't even let Paul Strauss and I testify. And you know what? We ended up having more than 1,500 people call the committee and request that we be allowed to testify. And they still didn't let us testify, you know. I was one of them, Mike. Yeah, I know. God bless you. And, 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 you know, uh, so when people in DC, you know, think that this really doesn't, doesn't hurt them, it really does. It hurts them in all sorts of ways. And you know what? I think it's the same kind of, of ignorance that we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. when it comes to science, you know, people mm-hmm. in, in Northwest Washington who have the power that live in wards two and three and and six and four, we're all doing okay. Our trash gets picked up. Our kids go to decent schools. We live in neighborhoods that are relatively safe. So we don't think about it. We, we, you know, we just don't, we just don't uh, do anything about it. But look, y'all, if you want to get it done, somebody's going to have to stand up and stand behind the people that are working on this and push. The fact that we give almost no money to it, the fact that we don't show any respect for the people that are elected to the offices that are are put together to, you know, um, in an effort to achieve statehood. You know that that six jurisdictions have had senators like me and every one of them has become a state. The only one that hasn't become a state is the District of Columbia. And they don't, you know, they don't get that they should support us. But the local politicians see us as as, um, um, competition. So they don't support us and they try to do, they try to stand in our way. But um, the judicial nominations, what? I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's okay. Sorry. They don't want those two extra Democratic votes. They don't want those two extra Democratic votes. That's right. But you know what? If the Republicans are smart enough to oppose it so vehemently because they don't want two more Democrats, why the hell don't the Democrats stand up and support it for the same reason <laughs> that they that they do want two more Democrats? You know, then we wouldn't have to worry about Joe Manchin, who, by the way, I found out recently drives a Maserati. No kidding. Yeah. Now you think the people of West Virginia? No, you know what? I did see something along those lines. Now that you say it, yeah, right. Right? That's yeah. what the average guy. I've been with West Virginia. Yeah, it would take you a month of driving around West Virginia to find a half a dozen Maseratis. Let me tell you. Well, you know. a Prius. And they'd all be people from DC who had <laughs> like who had like summer homes in in in. Exactly. Yeah, it wouldn't oh, be. Uh, yeah. yeah. He drives it straight to the green briar. Right to the green briar. <laughs> exactly. And, and you know, and, and he talks about how he, you know, look, every politician was born barefoot in a log cabin. It's the and thing that I love. Driver. Yeah. It's the, it's the thing that I love about all politicians. Pat says to my kids, always used to say, your dad used to walk 10 miles barefoot uh, to school every day. And it was uphill <laughs> both ways, going and coming. <laughs> You know, and right, and we're all we're all like hard scrabble. You know, we get you know we we and and you know that that's one thing. Another thing, another shout out. We lost Harry Reid too, yeah. but Harry Reid really was one of those people. Harry Reid came grew up in a house without plumbing. Uh, he was a boxer. He he really was somebody that climbed. Uh, and we used to that used. To, we used to have those people in, in, in America. Exactly. Right? And in Congress. Right. And in Congress. Um, right. And they people, didn't wear it on their sleeves. They just got on with things. Right. They did. They just got on with things. It's like, you know, I've got to tell you, uh, the first time I read George Bush, George H.W. Bush's resume, they used to say he had the best resume in Washington, D.C., uh, I was amazed at, at some of the things that he had done that you that he didn't wear on his sleeve. He was the youngest fighter pilot till this day 
He's the youngest fighter pilot in the history of the Air Force. Well, it wasn't even the Air Force in those days. It was the Army Air Corps. He was like a 17-year-old fighter pilot. Now, this comes as a, 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 as a shock to a guy that worked hard to get his 17-year-old to take out the trash, you know, that, that this guy was, you know, right? He stood up for his country, he stood up for America. And, 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 you know, if you asked him about it, he would have, I think he would have said that it was an honor to stand up for his country, you know? And where have these guys gone? I, I, I don't, I don't know. Barely learn how to fly. Learning how to fly is is difficult. It's not easy, and they barely learn how to fly. And they were put into those airplanes, and those airplanes, you know, did not have autopilot. They were not like you know the latest Airbus, where you know there's this whole panel and you just click this and click that. No, these things were manual. Yeah, and they were made out of very often made out of canvas, and you know and. Yeah, it just. Yeah, they did it. It's amazing that many survived. Many died, but it's amazing that many survived. It's amazing that George Bush survived. Right. And you know what? You're right. It's so hard to learn how to fly. You know that my brother was an Air Force, an F-111. He flew an F-111 in the Air Force, and he just got his private pilot license. And it took him forever to get it. And he failed the test the first time, you know. You know, and now he wants to take me up in his little in his little plane, and I'm like, hmm, well, uh, no, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, he, I don't even know what kind of plane he's got. They they bought they bought a plane. Uh, you know, it's I I assume that it's not brand new. I assume it's a pretty old one, but uh, you know, I, I think it only has one wing though. It doesn't have two wings. <laughs> You know, so I guess that's a good thing. But uh, but you're you're right. It, which you know, these guys had a joystick and a machine gun and a bomb, and uh, you know, uh, yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing what they did. And imagine with all that around you, yeah. and the smell of the fumes. I mean, you know, it wasn't a sealed cockpit and all that. And you had all this this war activity. These planes flying around. You're afraid of being shot. You don't have somebody looking out, and you know there's no radar. I mean, it, it, I, I don't understand how they did it. I really don't. It took such great courage, and it, you know there were so many people of that of that ilk from that generation that that stood up. You know, and I know my dad, for example, went. You know, he was in the war for years. It wasn't like. Vietnam, you know, right. a lot of people don't understand. All, as many men served in Vietnam as served in the Second World War, and it's because the tours of duty were much shorter in Vietnam. Sure, sure. And in the Second World War, they just went in and when and they got out when the war was over. You know, when the war was over in Europe, my father was re was being sent to Southeast Asia to fight the Japanese, but the war ended, you know, but right. they were ready to, you know, said, okay, you did what you did in Europe. Now let's go uh, deal with what, what's going on in Asia. But um, anyway, I don't know where those people are. I hope there are more of them. I try to, you know, I, I, I try to talk to young people and, and inspire them to stand up. But you know what I hear from a lot of young people is that they're disenchanted with this country that, in my opinion, is so amazing. I, I, I mean, I don't get it sometimes. I, 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 I feel sorry for it because I think that uh, there are a lot of bumps and bruises. You know, we've had plenty of people on our show to talk about things like racism that we know uh, permeates our society and, and is really. Uh, uh, you know, a horrible burden uh, that we need to resolve uh, finally after, you know, 400 years. But uh, but also there were great opportunities here. There were great opportunities for me. You know, I um, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have never succeeded the way that I succeed have succeeded in any other country. 
I'm convinced of that. That you know? is that is the truth. But you also had to fight, Mike. I did, but I threw my life away, and they gave me a second chance. You know, yeah. there's a lot of places where you don't get a second chance. You oh, know, that, I ran. Right. I awesome. ran a muck in Montgomery County, and I came from North New Jersey, and I ran a muck in Montgomery County, and I always said to myself, um, if I lived in Newark. If I did the same things in Newark I did in, in Rockville, I would have never survived, you know, because they played for keeps in Newark. In, in, in Rockville, they were much nicer, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, you were talking about these kids being disillusioned, and uh, I forget what word you use. I, I mean, imagine if Rosa Parks had adopted that, that attitude. Imagine yeah. if Desmond Tutu had adopted that attitude. These people had to fight. These people were struggled. Their families struggled. And I think that's the problem with the young people of today. They don't struggle. They don't have that background of to work for a living, you know, delivering papers at the age of nine. Things right. like that. Um, and I, I think it's very easy for them to say, oh, I'm not happy with the system. Well, if you're not happy with it, then fight for it. Right. I agree 100 percent. And and, uh, you know, I know you were a newspaper girl at nine. I think <laughs> that 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 uh, I was a little older when I started delivering newspapers. I hated it. I hated collecting the money. I always had people that weren't going to pay that, you know, that I mean, they owed me a dollar sixty and, you know, and they were and they were stonewalling. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I hated collecting money from people. But uh, but yeah, it builds character. It really does build character. It really does, you know. You really do. Uh, you really do. Uh, you know, uh, become something um, that that that's substantial from working and and understanding how many breaks you get. I think you're right. I think huh. that a lot of pe- a lot of these young people don't understand how many breaks they get. Yeah. Well, we're almost out of time here, so. Uh, I say Happy New Year to everybody, uh, you know, as we start uh, 2022. And I hope that we will all focus on climate change and that we will all focus on, on you know, keeping America, not making it great again, no, just keeping please. it great, you know. Yes. And I give you the last word, my talented uh, scientific co-host. You're too kind, Mike. You really are. I am humbled by you. Oh, God. Let me reiterate. May the spirit of Desmond Tutu infect humanity. That is my wish for 2022 and forever. And may he peace. Yeah, I can't think of a more beautiful sentiment. So we're going to leave you with the show. And this goes out to all our listeners. I couldn't think of another song to... We're going to leave the show with this song. I couldn't think of another more appropriate song. Here's Imagine by John Lennon. Oh, that's beautiful. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs>